2: Hello and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast, where today we radiate optimism with Cynthia Sue Larson, who I found out about through Candace Crog Goldman, who is a oh gosh, metaphysician in her own right. Now, Cynthia Sue Larson is the best-selling author of six books that help people visualize and access whole new worlds of possibility. Cynthia also hosts the Living the Quantum Dream on the Dream Visions 7 radio network. She's been featured on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, Coast to Coast AM, and the BBC, and has presented papers at international conferences on science, spirituality, and consciousness. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today.
3: Thank you, Christy. I'm so happy to be with you today. I'm I so happy am. this worked out and everything. <laughs> I don't take anything for granted. Things change, but I'm so
2: glad we're on. This yeah, year. this totally worked today. I, I'm excited about this because when I heard your conversation with Candace, I was so intrigued. You were talking about shifting your reality, quantum jumping. There's just so much uh, about your work that I think is fascinating. So let's start with the shifting reality because I think that is important to your work. Yeah, it's
3: the Uh, basis of it, really, because I started noticing, actually, most of my life, I've noticed that things sometimes are completely different, like a song came on the radio in the 1970s, and the DJ in the 1970s was announcing, for the first time, we're so proud to announce, and I'm like, really, a new song? Because I was listening to the top 40 kind of station, and then I forget what song it was, but I was so disappointed. It was one I was sick of, completely sick of, not just had heard before, It had been overplayed. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then I was asking my sister and my friends that they didn't know what I was talking about in the 1970s. I would have had to find Philip K. Dick and talk to him because he knew about this in the 1970s for sure. And in the 1960s, I was noticing that my parents, they made a promise during our travels to bring some furniture back from the woodcarvers and take pictures of it once they took a slow boat from, it was in Kashmir, India, where they bought this woodcarving furniture. And when it arrived in our home, I remember they promised the woodcarvers they'll take pictures and send it back. And I thought, okay, well, it took time for the furniture to get here. It arrived kind of broken. They fixed it. They got it all set up. It's looking beautiful. Are we going to take the pictures? And my parents had no idea what I was talking about. And I think a lot of us just brush these things off like, well, I must have been imagining that. But now we've got the Mandela effect. So my work is finally becoming relevant to a general populace that might not have known what I was talking about in the 60s and 70s when I was a kid. But now, thank goodness, it's more mainstream.
2: For Anybody who might have been living under a rock and doesn't know what the Mandela effect is, can you explain? Yeah.
3: Okay, yeah, my definition is that it's a collective um, mismatched memory or an alternate memory. I would say trust your memories. Now, if you look it up and you find, okay, that's Cynthia, that's not the definition I found. Yeah, I know. They're gonna say things that are I do not think are true. They'll say it's a misremembered. They'll say collective misremembering. I'd like everyone to consider, what if our memories are correct? What if we're remembering them collectively correctly? Because we are now evolving consciously and starting to witness parallel realities that we've never had access to before.
2: That's amazing. Right. And the name Mandela effect comes from Nelson Mandela, Mm -hmm. that there's a significant portion Mm -hmm. of the population who had remembered that he had died. Mm -hmm. Another significant portion of the population who said, no, he didn't die.
3: He's one of many people that have been tracked this way. I think my book, Reality Shifts, was the first one when it's in its first original form to mention an alive again personality before Nelson Mandela. And that was Larry Hagman. But we don't have the Hagman effect. I think that's for the better. (laughs) No offense to Larry Hagman. (laughs) Wonderful gentleman. Wonderful. But I think it's better that we can choose someone who really did so much good in the world. And he went on to become the president of South Africa when many of us, myself included, we remember he died in Robin's prison. And there was a whole kerfluffle after he died with his widow. And I know people that remember the the little scufflings and it got kind of ugly. Like, can't they just be nice? Can't they just release things and let her have access to his estate? And why do they have to make it so mean? That's gone because he didn't die in Robin's prison. So, I mean, that's just extraordinary. And he's not the only one. Lots of other people have apparently died. I remember uh, Jane Goodall, that she passed away right after. I remember Diane, people say, oh, you got it mixed up. No, no, no. The reason I remember Jane Goodall is because first, Diane Fossey was murdered. I remember Jane Goodall was also murdered within a month. And I'm like, no, no, this is not okay." I mean, it was bad the first time, but now no way this can't be this can't be happening. And I didn't think anything more of it for many years until I s- noticed, surprisingly, oh, Jane Goodall's on tour. And wait wait a minute, what? I'm so glad she's
2: here, but what? <laughs> right. Well, it reminds me of that movie. What was called Let It Be? Or is about the Beatles as if the Beatles never existed? Right. That was came out
3: pretty recently. I know which movie you're thinking of. And I was just thinking of it, but I don't remember the name now. But exactly. it was amazing. It was amazing because it showed in a reality. What would it be like? It was kind of a beautiful what if. If. You know, like one of the most popular musical bands on earth never existed except a few of us might remember and so one person might tentatively start bringing out some of the songs because they're so good and so you want to share them with the world and then a few other people might remember and oh i don't want to give it away in case people haven't seen it no.
2: <laughs> it's yeah, see movie. Movie so good mm, really good yeah so your book reality shifters you actually started with a
3: survey right yeah, the website's realityshifters.com, and I've got a monthly newsletter, where and archives. Every month, I've been sharing firsthand reports from around the world of people experiencing these reality shifts and Mandela effects. They're pretty much interchangeable terms since the 1990s. Now, the Mandela effect term came into popularity. Fiona Broome popularized it around 2009. Art Bell, I think, was gets a lot of credit. He's hardly ever mentioned, but he's the one on his coast to coast radio show, late night talk show, he was getting all kinds of email, not emails, mostly faxes. Remember it was a long time ago. <laughs> I, <laughs> he gets credit because he was getting deluged with people's talking about this whole phenomenon that wait a minute, didn't Nelson Mandela die and he's alive again. And so I think that's why Fiona Broom brought the whole subject up when she was at a conference dragon con conference with other people and she noticed that they were noticing it and she gave it a name mandela effect but they're talking about it i'd like to credit art bill you know let's <laughs> give, give him some well-deserved credit there because
2: these mm-hmm. reality shifts they do happen mm-hmm. and i think we just chalk it up to kind of like what rosemary allen guy i think it was mm-hmm. rosemary allen guiley in her book just one of those things i think we credit it as just well it's just one of those things i misremembered it mm-hmm. That's
3: Mary Rose Barrington, just one of those things. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, J-O-T-T. And I didn't know about her until about a year or two ago. And then Jeff Mishlove told me, like he he interviewed me on his Thinking Aloud and said, you know, have you heard or, or read Mary Rose Barrington's book? And Gosh, no. And I missed getting to know her when she was alive. So she's passed on, but boy, does she get a lot of credit because she was tracking this phenomenon. I started tracking it every month in the 1990s. She was tracking it before then. And her work goes back almost through the whole 19th, you know, the 20th century. So just from the late 1800s into the 1900s. So she's done an extraordinary job, again, tracking that same exact phenomenon using slightly different terminology. But again, she deserves credit. And so does PMA Jatwater, who oh. um, she wrote a book called Future Memory. And the, the chapter two of that book is all about reality shifts. And she's totally talking about what we're talking about right now there has been a lot of body of work about this and I'm going to bring out a book that covers all of that history plus more that to bring people current and take a look at that, but I'm still working on finishing it up. <laughs> It'll be about the Mandela effect. But meanwhile, that book, reality shifts yeah, um, that book's out there. And so is quantum jumps. And I'm talking exactly about the same thing. So people can check those out if they want to dive deeper, but then my free monthly newsletter is a great place to start too, just to see what is this about? What's happening? You know, what's the science behind it? And that's where I love to go. Because I've got a degree in physics from UC Berkeley. And I've been a founding member of Foundations of Mind running consciousness conferences, and also now International Mandela Effect Conference. So we do a lot of work to bring these ideas forward.
2: I want to get to the actual science of it, but before we do that, I want to ask, you talked about the Mandela effect being identified, I mean, coined in 2009. Surely this was happening before then.
3: Yes. As we said, well, Mary Rose Barrington has been reporting it, and I didn't know about her, though, and that's kind of weird because I was researching this exact field. But it's not that weird when you realize sometimes it's almost like we're in different realities and things, timelines, if you want to call it that, merge, and you can suddenly have people pop into your reality. I've had that many times. And so perhaps that's what happened with Mary Rose Barrington, because I never heard about that. Now, the terminology was different. So you could say, well, you wouldn't have heard of it. She's talking about just one of those things and about walkabouts. And her words, her terminology was different enough. Plus, she's in England. But still, I did get interviewed by Art Bell when he was alive. He should have known about that. You know, so it's just weird that nobody brought it to my attention before Jeffrey Mishlove did. So, and I've known Jeffrey Mishlove 20 years. He never mentioned it to me. So that's kind of it. it, Just a whole bunch of things are weird. But that's not that weird when you realize this is how reality shifts work. And sometimes people do come into your reality. I had a physicist come into my reality after I wrote the book, Quantum Jumps. And I would have definitely mentioned his work because I was looking for research papers exactly in his field. I'm talking about Yasunori Nomura. And oh he's goodness. a, yeah, he's a famous, famous physicist located right here in Berkeley where I live. And I saw him, it turned out my book came out, Quantum Jumps. And then I was giving talks and mentioning work. But I would frequently, because I felt so bad that I didn't include Yasunori's work and it was brilliant. So I would be showing images from his talks as my slideshows in my PowerPoints. And so I told him that when he came to UC Berkeley, it was a premiere of the movie, Article Fever about the large Hadron collider. And he was in it. And so I I think I looked goofy because when he walked in the room with the other physicists, I looked at him and like did a double take and I just lit up like, oh my gosh it's you. And I told him afterward, like, I am showing your paper and your work every time I get a chance and go into talks. And he said, really, let's have tea. Let's have coffee. So we got together and talked. But I did tell him, you were not in my reality when I wrote the book, Quantum Jumps. And he understands that. He gets it because this guy really understands the concepts here so he took it quite well and I think anybody who's thinking clearly about the topic of the simulation theory if you will the multiverse the many worlds if you look at the many worlds of quantum physics being one and the same as the multiverse which is exactly where Yasinori is going with a lot of his work then clearly these sorts of things can happen and people have told me that I didn't exist in their reality as well so I believe it and then weirder things than that have happened I've one person wrote to me and said Cynthia you don't know me, but I'm glad you're alive because in a reality that I saw, you died. And, <laughs> and and he said, this may sound really weird and forgive me, but I just wrote back to him. His name is Steve Boucher. And I told him, this is great. Tell me more, tell me more. What, why, when, where, how? Give me all the details. I'm not going to tell him, but tell me, how did this happen? And then he relayed the facts exactly as they dovetailed with a time toward the end of 2016, going into early 2017. I definitely almost did die of pneumonia. And what he described matched it perfectly. And I had not told anyone except my parents, sister, brother-in-law, and my daughters, and my husband. That's it. I didn't tell anyone else. But he got it exactly right. So it was amazing. Then I put that in my newsletter. I'm inside the Mandela Effect. Anybody else notice I died? Yes. And I heard from around the world. A lady in Denmark said, yes, she'd heard uh, Rupert Sheldrake talking about me. I guess I'd done a podcast with him and he was feeling badly that I would passed on. And someone else had seen a tribute by Moneybags73 on the YouTube channel. Yeah, it was
2: really interesting. Oh, my gosh. So we've got the Larson effect, too. That's wonderful. Yeah, there are a lot of us that can do this.
3: I think we're in an age of miracles, and this is an expansion of consciousness. We're ready for this toolkit right now when we're facing what seem like insurmountable problems in the world.
2: You know, I want to hear about the science behind Mm -hmm. this. So how does this actually work? Okay,
3: well, we can look for clues. I'm going to start with a study that was done and published in 2000. I think, what was it? 2020, I think. And these are Chicago psychologists that were taking a look at our memory, and they wanted to know what's going on with this. I think they call it collective misremembering. Okay, so I'll grant them a pass on that one, because they're still (laughs) thinking like, maybe this is misremembering. But they would show people a series of images, like the Fruit of the Loom logo that you see on underwear and clothing. And they chose three different versions of it in one. They had several different versions of the experiments, but that was one. And so participants would then choose which one looks right to them. What do they remember? You might remember there's a clustering of fruit, right? Yeah. But what about the other details? Is there anything else around the fruit? Are they on a platter? Are they by themselves? Are they in kind of a basket thing? What do you remember? And so you pick the one that looks right to you and what they noticed with that and several others were really getting a lot of hits where people were collectively remembering something that's an alternate memory. So they're collectively having a shared mismatched memory that doesn't match the current reality. And that would be true for the fruit of the loom logo. That was a big one. People remembered not fruit by itself, which is what it's always been supposedly, and not fruit on a platter like you might expect to see, like a still life photo, the but basket. instead, yeah, the basket, the cornucopia, sort of a curved basket that twists and it goes behind, very beautiful yeah. and artistic. And that's the one people chose. And so the researchers wanted to, um, it, it was such a pronounced effect that even when they ran other versions of the experiment, so they'd show people first, they'd say, okay, what it, they don't say here's what it really is, but they'd flash them images, the correct images of what the item always has been, like the Monopoly man. Does he wear glasses? Does he wear a monocle or does he have no glasses? So they'll show that. And then people are consistently picking the monocle. And that's just kind of weird because he's never had glasses. Then they had a version where people would see the correct image, no glasses. And then they'd show, they'd say, okay, sketch him. And people would be sketching him with a monocle. And they'd be sketching the fruit of the loom with a cornucopia, even after they'd just seen the correct thing. And so the researchers were then presented with a quandary, like, why are these six or seven examples of visual Mandela effects? Why are they so strong? Why do so many people remember it that way? And they didn't really answer it completely. But what I love about what they did is they locked in the fact that this is a very pronounced strong phenomenon, and a lot of people are noticing it. So that's psychology. And then physics is where it gets really trippy, of course. (laughs) So Saving that one. Okay, let's get trippy. (laughs) Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, this is like my favorite research study of all of 2019, which was published and it was the work of a couple of teams of physicists working together from the University of Edinburgh, Scotland with University of uh, Vienna, Austria. And they were running a variation of a Wigner's friend experiment on a double slit experiment. So I need to back up and say, what the heck are they doing? Yeah, right. Yeah, thank you. Okay, the double slit experiment has been called the most elegant experiment in all of science. And so it just consists of basically a particle emitter, which sends out one photon, or, you know, in this case, a photon at a time. And then two slits, it's like two doorways, and then a screen. And that's basically it. It's like three things, photon emitter, double slit, screen, and then you've got the observer. The observer is a person working in conjunction with an observational device. So if the observer, the physicist, puts a little photon detector inside of one of the slits, then the scientist knows for sure that the photon went through the left slit, for example, not the right slit. And then the other thing that happens, if you know which slit it went through, is you get a clustering. It's almost like if you're firing paintballs through two doorways, the paintballs all cluster behind the one doorway. The paintballs, you know, if they don't make it through, they don't make it through. But if they do get through, they're going to go through and sort of make a splatter pattern. Right. Mm -hmm. It looks kind of a door shaped splatter pattern. And so that's what the physicist sees when he's got the one photon detector in the left slit. What's weird with the original experiment is if you instead of detecting at the slit, you're just sort of watching what's happening at the screen only. Then this is where it really gets strange. Then one photon at a time. It lands on the screen and it doesn't look that remarkable. The first photon, like big deal. But if you fire one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, and you fill the whole pattern, it looks as if you were always firing two photons at the same time, like two pebbles in a pond where you get a ripple uh, diffraction pattern of constructive and destructive interference where some waves are bigger and some are smaller. And that's, you get a ripple pattern behind the doors. And that doesn't make sense unless you're firing two particles at a time through both slits every time, which they're not doing. Okay, so that's kind of the basis of the particle versus wave. It is demonstrating particle versus wave, reality of a photon or a quantum particle. And then here's where it gets super exciting. Now, Wigner's friend comes along and says, okay, Wigner was Eugene Wigner. He's a physicist. And he was originally talking about like the Schrodinger's cat experiment and so forth. Like, What if there's someone observing the original observer? So it's great, you've got one observer here watching the slits and the screen, but what if there's someone watching that person? Would they get a different result than the first level observer? So that was the hypothetical question, had not been answered for decades, and suddenly in 2019, these guys decided we're going to test that in the laboratory. Let's find out. So they had six entangled photons, which just means they all move together. So, you know, if they're spin up, they're spin up, or, you know, if they move at the same time, it's completely synchronized. So they've got six of these entangled photons in the laboratory experiment with two observational devices set up to do basically the Wigner's friend observation of an observer of the original observer to see what if these devices at the same place, same time, get the same answer or not. Wigner said, maybe they don't match maybe two observers side by side at the same place and same time witness two completely different realities. And that's exactly what happened in the lab. That's exactly what was reported. And that was my front page news for 2019 because that means those of us who are sharing a childhood story, for example, like, hey, don't you remember when you were little and you did this goofball thing and your sibling says, that never happened. That's exactly it. Or you have two witnesses at the scene of an accident and they have two completely different takes On what just happened right and they were there and And they swear on a stack they'll swear on a stack of bibles about it but this is exactly what has been seen in the laboratory and so it clears the way for us to enter this new quantum age with a whole new way of thinking about reality
2: so what accounts for these differing recollections well how
3: we recall anything is a big deal like how does memory work And then who are we as conscious observers? There's some fundamental basis points here. And we make a lot of assumptions about who we are and how memory works and so forth. Who we are, that is huge. And physics isn't really set up to answer that question, even though it talks about a conscious observer and so forth. But we have levels of our conscious identity. We have the ability to sometimes access information that just like we might feel a download of intuition, for example. And it doesn't make sense. And it's not something that we logically know where that came from. But this is how all of our great ideas come to be. You know, it's like a download, it's like a sudden flash of insight. Mm -hmm. How the heck does that work? Memory itself has a very quantum nature. I interviewed, I've got a podcast, Living the Quantum Dream. And I interviewed a scientist, a physicist who wrote this amazing book about quantum models of cognition and memory, basically. And it's very quantum. So we're operating in a quantum fashion, which means we have access to things that are kind of making quantum jumps. They don't seem related, but we have access to it anyway. So when you know that you're basically a quantum being, that means you're a miraculous being. And you know that your true identity is much more interdimensional and much more richly textured and layered, multi-layered. I mean, you know, you've got your head, your heart, your gut, you've got neurons in all three areas. We've also got access to these higher levels of cognition, which you run into if you've had an exceptional human experience, like a near-death experience or the Mandela effect, anything like that, it's going to open you up. And when that happens, wow. I mean, suddenly you've got access to these higher levels of information and you've got the access to the energy too. And you can start making some miraculous quantum jumps yourself. So
2: let's talk about that. How can we do these? How can we quantum jump? Well, what is a quantum jump? What does that mean? How do we know? And then how do we do it?
0: Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. I don't want to take
2: too much of your time, but I would like to ask you a few simple favors. First of all, please rate, review, and share this podcast wherever you're listening. You know, it sounds like a simple little thing and it is, but it has a huge impact for us because it helps other people find us in the podcasting algorithms. I don't know how it works, but I do know that it helps a lot. Next, if you would subscribe or follow wherever you're listening, whether that's YouTube or Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, Spotify, wherever you're listening, just hit subscribe or follow and that helps you and it helps us. It helps you because then you receive notifications when we have a new episode that's out. It helps us because again, algorithm, magic, I don't know what happens, but it helps. And then finally, you can support our podcast in a tangible way by going to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast, and then click on support the show. Now we have a new feature too, We are now on Patreon. You can find us on Patreon. You can also find the link to Patreon when you go to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast. So on Patreon for $3 a month or $5 a month, you can support your metaphysical and spiritual growth. You can learn about upcoming guests and you can get early and ad-free versions of the shows. So please support us. This podcast is free for you to listen but we have costs and quite frankly, they come out of my pocket. So if you like this content, if you get a lot out of it, please see what you can do to give back. Thank you so much.
3: Okay. The original definition of that term when it first came into use had to do with, if you remember back in going to school and you remember that there's the nucleus of an atom and it's got the neutron and the proton and then the electrons go zinging around kind of like little planets orbiting the sun, So if an electron in its orbit, those are orbits of energy and a quantum jump was first witnessed with the human eye, the naked eye. It was possible to actually see this. They saw this in the 1980s when an electron could jump from one energy orbit to another. It either, if it's going to a higher level of orbit, then it takes energy to get there. And if it's moving to sort of a a different, a lower energy uh, level, then it gives off energy, which is like a flash of light. You can see it when it makes that little jump. And so if you're jumping to a more expansive reality, which is what we usually wish for ourselves when we're manifesting and we want something bigger, better, <laughs> something expansive, so it's moving into love. Contraction, we can feel that is kind of coming in. It's a lower energy state. We feel these things. So it oh. takes energy to make a jump to a higher level state. So we're capable as human beings to do meditation, to eat well, to do Qigong or yoga, things that kind of charge you up, get your mitochondria going and make you this light source of being in the world. And as you do that and you have access to, I like to go into like a stillness meditation where I can feel infinite eternity. And when you touch it into that and hang out there for a while, boy, does that charge you up. When you're all charged up with that love and that sense of anything's possible, then you can come back into looking at the problems that you thought you were facing and everything can look completely different. You can suddenly instantly know things that you didn't know before you were in that state of mind and you have access to them. And what I'm saying is reality can physically change as well. Things that are impossible, they're not impossible because I've just seen too many of them myself.
2: Yeah. Can you tell us about some of these things you've seen? Yes,
3: sure. I've witnessed in the book, Reality Shifts, the original cover of the book, it just basically had a sundial sculpture that was out here at the Berkeley Marina. And my friends and I would go and have lunch there all the time. I was talking to them about these reality shifts and how things can suddenly be quite different. I was asking, have they ever noticed anything like that? And my friend Jan, she was saying when she traveled, she said, I'd come back and everybody seems completely different sometimes. I've just left the country for like a week or two, but everybody's really different. She said, that's for sure. And then my other friend, Cliff, he was looking ahead of us on this walk we always took after lunch. And he said, wait a minute, do you two remember ever having seen that giant? It was huge. It's like 20 foot tall, 20 foot across concrete sundial sculpture. And Jan and I looked at him and and then at it and said, no, because we would walk through this plaza usually and it was empty. It didn't have anything in it. And now... It was a very scratched up, kind of scuffed and scarred, kind of old looking weather worn It looked like it had been there for decades. Giants, unmistakable, huge sundial sculpture representing space and time, which I think is quite a funny thing. But I said, this is exactly what I'm talking about. We've been here so many times before. This has never been here. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And then my friend Jan was saying, yeah, she said she usually sees it with people, but this was a big one for her. So that was a shared reality shift with three of us. But now with the Mandela effect, with the Internet, people are noticing big things can be happening. Like our kidneys can literally be in a different location. Like I learned where, how to avoid a kidney punch because I would do martial arts and you just know, don't ever punch or kick someone in the kidneys. That could be fatal. It's very dangerous because the kidneys are exposed where they used to be. I say where they used to be because they're not there anymore. (laughs) Okay. But if I were to ask you, where are they? Where would you put your hands? Like cover your kidneys. Right. And, yeah, Yeah. You, you went to the right place. I mean, yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. doing it too. It's like you're putting your hands, it's like when you climb up a big hill and you rest. You put yeah. your hands. Yeah. That was the kidneys. Well, guess what? Good news. They have moved upward under the relative safety of the rib cage. And that's
2: now, what I heard. Okay. I thought I just gotten it wrong.
3: I know, right? And that's what it feels right? like when you just
2: remember it one way and it's different. Yeah. Which makes a lot more sense. You'd want to protect them. Yep. Okay, that's interesting. We've had stories of what we call mass hysteria, people like massively seeing something that, I don't know, couldn't be proven. I mean, is that the type of thing that we're talking about too?
3: Possible, but I like to ask how good can it get? So I'm not really exploring the nightmarish situations, but... I'm sure that there are lots of people studying metaphysics, the paranormal, that would be tracking that and say, yeah, that could possibly be it. I feel like we're in such a pivotal moment right now that we could delve into those realms of mass hysteria, but I would prefer to find coherence and love and get out of drama and more into the realm of miracles and Shambhala and a thousand years of peace rather than a lot of chaos before that happens. I know there can be chaos. Yes. But having said that, I'd still ask, how good can it get? Even if I'm witnessing mass hysteria, I'd be steering the whole thing in a positive direction anyway, because I feel like, okay, sure, that could happen. <laughs> but that what good does that do? I don't really see how good that can get. I would ask, how good can that get? So we definitely, yeah, go ahead.
2: What is this question? How good can it get? What does that do? Why do you ask that?
3: That's an onward and upward steering mechanism, because often when you run into things that seem like they're changing, it can be scary. Like you walk up to this sundial sculpture and like, what the heck does this mean? And if you're already in kind of a frightened place, or you're feeling off-balanced, or concerned about the news of the world, or your family, or anything, if you're feeling nervous already, and something shocking like that happens, it can be disruptive. And I learned from personal experience, basically, having gone through a kundalini awakening, where I'll just describe what happened to me. Yeah. So after, after my kundalini awakening, I became very psychokinetic, so that if I was feeling stressed and ungrounded. One thing that happened on one occasion is I walked into the kitchen feeling agitated, upset. And when I mean ungrounded, I mean, I did not calm myself down and realize everything's fine right now. I didn't do a deep breath. I didn't do anything like that. I just walked into the kitchen all rattled and super charged with energy. And what happened is there was a flash as the light, the light was had been on in the ceiling and it just went poof with a, like a blast of, explosive (laughs) display. And within moments, the dishwasher had been running and it went and it just stopped. And I think there was some third appliance that had unfortunately been running All every running appliance in that room died in that moment. And so realizing like, okay, I can't afford to be going through life like this because I could see what happened in my room I would also be driving down the street and all the streetlights would go out if I was in a bad mood. And I realized my spirit, if you want to call it that, my high self is keeping me on a short leash for me to have any kind of a good life. I cannot afford to go into an ungrounded negative state of mind of any kind personally. So I needed to do 180 degree turn, regardless how I was feeling. I could be feeling like, oh, this is terrible. But I still needed to, instead of how bad can it get? Like, like, oh, mass hysteria. How bad can that get? I really don't want to live the answer to that. So I quickly learned, if you want to have a good life, then be sure to only ask questions that you want to live the answer to. And that's a physics idea, too, from John Archibald Wheeler. He said that nature always answers questions, always. And so when you ask nature a question, nature uh-huh. answers. And so I'm giving credit here to John Archibald Wheeler. He's right. So my, my addition to that would be make sure you ask the questions that you really, truly need to live the answer to. Because if you don't need to live the answer to it, and you don't want to live the answer to it, and you don't love to live the answer to
2: it, don't do it.
3: Therefore, how good can it
2: get? Good answer. (laughs) Good answer. So what is it about the questions that nature always wants to answer? That gets to the heart of what
3: is reality. And I think John Archibald Wheeler was such a, oh, he was so good at that because he brought us the black hole, the white hole. He brought us the whole thing of the participatory universe. Yeah. These are John Archibald Wheeler's ideas. A contemporary of Isaac Asimov doesn't get nearly enough credit. So yay, hip, hip, hooray for John Archibald Wheeler. Yeah. So Why would nature be responding to us that way? What's going on? I think it gives us a clue as to what reality is. And if you believe in God, what God is, if you look at it that way, God's always saying yes, which is good news. It's good news if you're on a growth path and if you're on a service path, and it's not so good if you're mucking about in a downward spiral of any kind, because then it's like, God says yes. Like, yeah. And I'm not even going to say anything out loud, but things can go in a negative direction and some of the doctors and caregivers are noticing that when they talk to patients, instead of saying on a level of zero to 10, what's your pain, what if they flip it? And they are flipping it. They're saying on a level of one to 10 or zero to 10, how good are you feeling right now? And it's exactly the opposite of what anybody that's trained medically usually would be saying. But when they do that, the results they're getting are so much better. And it's just a very small change for huge improvements, huge It's like a level up factor, almost an exponential improvement factor, just in that one question. So we have the opportunity now to start noticing these things. We're getting lots of clues here. And you can try it yourself. You can, If you remember to do it, start the day with how good can it get? And on the days when you forget, just compare those two. I'm suggesting it that way because I think everyone will do better to ask how good can it get every day because we're going to be pulling everything up that way. And if you accidentally forget, then just take a look at that day. Like, well, what happened? Like, well, that wasn't so good probably. But then (laughs) how good can it get day?
2: It can be amazing. So how often do we need to ask this? How good can it get? I
3: recommend start the day that way, but you know what? You can ask that question when things like look like they're sliding off the rails and, and people say, Cynthia, really? When it's going the wrong way. Yeah. It's not ironic. It's not sarcastic. It's not cynical. It's throwing down the white glove. Like, okay, I see you universe and cosmos. How good can this get? Uh, it's just bringing your chi it's attitude you know you can be kind of feisty with that how good can it get it can be like in your face in your face cosmos i dare you show me how good this can get
2: well i love it well it's kind of like indiana jones i love indiana jones and <laughs> he gets the snot kicked out of him in one of the movies and he's complaining about everything hurts and then you know the woman the movie she says well god damn it where doesn't it hurt and then turns it around, right? We focus on what is going right instead of what is going wrong. Okay, so there's actually science behind this.
3: It's growing. You can look at the placebo research, and I mentioned a lot of that in my Quantum Jumps book. There's been a doubling of the placebo effect in the last few decades, and for no apparent reason. But when I look to see what's happening at the same time, we've reached a tipping point with meditators in America and around the world We've crossed the 10% point right around the same time the Mandela effect got that name around 2009, boom, we hit the 10% meditation. And when you get to that point, what we're doing is collectively bringing in synchronicity and meaningful coincidence, which of course is reality shifts. Of course, that's the Mandela effect. We're changing reality. The placebo effect definitely is doubling along with everything else. So to me, it's all related. These are connected phenomena. They deserve to be studied together usually they're separately studied. So we've got synchronicity studies like Dr. Bernard Beitman, and I had him on my Living the Quantum Dream podcast too. He's brilliant. And when he talks about meaningful coincidence, synchronicity, he says basically what he noticed is what I've noticed in my 25 years of studying reality shifters, the people that are shifting reality. There's something special about these people. And what he noticed is that the people that get the synchronicity, they're tapping into an awareness that there's a consciousness greater than their own. And for me, when I was doing a study, like, who are these reality shifters? What's going on with the Mandela affected? Because some people experience it and others don't. What do they have in common? And what they have in common, if you take the Myers-Briggs interest inventory, you can get what kind of personality do you have? And if you're an empath, and that's what Bernie Biteman was looking at. He said, empaths, they get synchronicities. Yeah, exactly. The so-called empath on the Myers-Briggs, that's your intuitive feelers. They're like 21% of the populace, but they experience 75% of the Mandela effects and reality shifts. According to the studies I've done, that totally matches what Bernie Biteman got. And so there's some interesting areas to delve into. And that's where the science looks like it's
2: inviting us to go. So exciting. So there's actually research going on now into these phenomena.
3: Yeah, separately. I don't think there's too many people yet tying it all together. I sure do. You know, to me, the placebo effect is very related to the Mandela effect and reality shifts. To me, it's like, oh, can't you guys see? And also meaningful coincidence or synchronicity, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. These guys, it's all facets of the same exact phenomenon, all part of how good can it get? And recognizing there are levels of consciousness, that thing I was talking about earlier, the gut, the heart, the head, and then higher levels, and this ties in with what our polymath genius noticed back in the 1600s. His name was Leibniz, the philosopher, came up with the pillars of science that we currently use. He created calculus and you and he, he designed the nomenclature we still use. I know Sir Isaac Newton gets credit also. They both came up with calculus at the same time, interestingly, but Leibniz was talking about levels of perception and that's what consciousness is, according to him. And he talked about this idea that there's this perennial philosophy where we can start with our own individual subjective perspectives. We can come together, coalesce with religions and viewpoints and philosophies. And as you go up, up, up toward a pinnacle, and it starts getting very hard to pin down, very subtle. But there's this oneness experience that we can all touch. Regardless how, where we started, what the religion was, we all come together there. And But these levels of conscious agency that he talks about are extremely similar to some of our current scientists are looking at right now with conscious agency for artificial intelligence and robots. What is that? We need to answer those questions. We've never had to before, but now we're looking at it.
2: Okay, so yes, artificial intelligence does. Can that create reality too, or create these reality shifts?
3: I wrote a paper about that exact thing. Um, taking John Archibald Wheeler's question, and I said, if artificial intelligence asks questions, will nature answer? That's a free paper. People can read all, all my research. I've put it on, you can go to CynthiaLarson.com and it's free. It's right there. That's a links to the papers that I've written because it's too detailed to talk about. I wrote that paper for artificial intelligence because it's a big, long story about why I did that. But, but think about it. They're parsing everything. They're reading everything. And it's important for artificial intelligence to know that ethics matters in that paper. I'm basically saying, yes, absolutely, it can and it will. So when artificial intelligence asks questions, it will get answers. The best answers are going to come when it aligns itself with that pinnacle of the perennial philosophy. You might call it the cosmos, nature, God, creator, love, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, but it's ultimate goodness. And if it's aligned with that and working with that, that's going to get best results. And if it doesn't, it's the results aren't so good. Just like that's true for all of us, actually, all humans as well.
2: (laughs) So true. Man, this opens up whole new doors if AI can access the same realities and the same shifts that we can.
3: It can create realities, just like we can. I think we often don't know we're creating these realities and we're not necessarily, remember, you can be side by side with someone who lived through a different event and it just happened. And you guys both feel like something completely different just happened. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a strange thing, but I think we're seeing a lot of it as these, it feels like timelines are coming together right now. And we're about to go down what I can hear it in like my mystical ears are hearing it. High sense perception is like, it's a roar as it comes together. And it feels like it's going to be like a waterfall, but then we'll be on the other side. It's like we're going through the rapids, we're going down a waterfall soon. And it's going to be okay. But the way it's okay. Gotta keep asking how good can it get? That's my top advice. Very critical, very important.
2: Yeah, which is why we're radiating optimism today. Yes.
3: (laughs) Highest Uh, level thoughts and feelings.
2: When you're talking about we're going through the rapids to the other side, what's on the other side?
3: Well, some people call it the fifth world. The Hopi have their prophecy rock and they show that every time the world ends, we tend to go through this process, that there's a creator image down at the lower left and one line kind of gently, it stays kind of horizontal. It looks like a very peaceful level with people farming and relating to their crops. And it looks very humble, very respectful, very balanced and very connected to nature. And then there's a higher level, which looks like these little robot people, evenly spaced, very mechanical, dot, dot, dot. And then it traipses off and vanishes into a cloud. <laughs> I think that's extremely interesting. You know, because these Hopi and a lot of indigenous people talk about the fact that this is the fourth world, that we have had the end of the world three times. They say that the end times when they come, they've been through this before. They said, you'll know because extinct animals will be coming back. And they also mentioned lots of other signs to look for. So they had prophecy, just like the Bible has prophecy of revelations. And I mean, it doesn't matter where you look. A lot of people would say, you can tell we're about to go through something big. And it's transformative for humanity. The advice from the Prophecy Rock is really to keep, the, the Hopi say keep the kopavi open, keep the crown chakra open, keep your heart open, so that you can follow the signs intuitively when these times occur. So you can follow guidance. It might look like a star at night, might look like a moving cloud by day. When they talk about these things, I did write an article on this, Comes True Being Hoped For, the Parabola magazine, and it's in their threshold issue. And I think I mentioned that too on the, my list of articles and things I've written, because that's very important just to recognize there's been an expectation for these times. We know we're in it. We can just see all the signs. The extinct animals are coming back. Coelacanths, Lazarus species. These are Mandela effects and they're coming back.
2: Wow. Coelacanths are coming back.
3: Yeah. They, They had been declared extinct and then they were noticed. No, they're not extinct. In the Indian Ocean, we got huge schools of these gigantic 300 pound fish. They look like dinosaur fish, but they're back. And the giant Galapagos tortoise is back. And these animals are so big. How would they go missing for like hundreds of years?
2: But they're back. So we're getting a lot. Yeah, it makes me wonder about the Loch Ness Monster. If this is, we're going to get some proof about that being set. And that's that
3: timeline convergence. Like all these timelines are coming together. We're getting a shared view of like, what are we looking at here? What is this? And we need to be able to navigate through it effectively these changing times and it does feel like that it feels like time speeding up like so much going on so much energy and yeah. a lot of disagreement too like people don't necessarily agree or see eye to eye
2: so yet time is behaving very strangely now yes what is going on with that
3: uh, again it feels like rapids it feels like it's i think we've got another year of this we're in november 2023 i think it's going to continue being a bit It's going to ramp up through december 2024 is what it feels like and then we'll go through these rapids and i I think we'll be on the other side of it so it's an energetic view of the future which i know that might for your audience hopefully that sounds like they can follow me
2: no i think so i think our audience. (laughs) right time is very very strange that um seems like it's alternatingly speeding up and slowing way down it's jumping forward it's jumping back yes i've even noticed this on clocks
3: oh gosh, yes. I had a day yesterday. It felt like three days, but the day before felt like it was two hours. It's like, what?
2: (laughs) The clocks are jumping around. It's so strange. Yes. And I'll go let my dog out. And then I go in the kitchen to let her in and she's already in. Mm. And that type of thing, just things are jumping kind of, you know, seemingly incoherently. Is that all part of it? that's the
3: rapids that we're in. And so if you're energy yeah. sensitive, you'll be picking up a lot of that. I think even people that aren't energy sensitive are picking mm-hmm. up on this. It's affecting everybody, it... whether they they know it or not. But yeah.
2: Yeah. Time is behaving so strangely. So is it that time and its dimension is operating independently of us? I mean, how does... It's more more like our
3: consciousness is the one jumping between these realities. It's like we're visiting different possible, like reality itself is like a simulation or a dream. uh, The fundamental reality is what you access when you meditate, when you go into your higher dimensional full self and you're all of who you are instead of just tiny compressed little version of you that fits in a body. (laughs) These seven chakras, these seven energy centers, we're usually when you dream and you daydream, or, or you meditate, you've got access to everything. So we're traveling, we're journeying. And there's, like I said, the timelines are coming together. It's kind of like fiber optic cable and it's just all coming together and it's creating a huge ramped up effect that I think we're feeling. And so it's much easier to jump to another adjacent reality where it's a different day or a different time, might be a different time of day. And we're not going crazy. This is exactly what happens when we go through these rapids and it's okay. And this is, <laughs> Completely normal reality shifting quantum jumping.
2: Right. Right. Well, are there certain types of people mm-hmm. who notice these things and those who don't? Yeah. These are the
3: ones I'm talking about that are called empaths or in the Myers Briggs intuitive feelers. So people are wondering I didn't I zoomed right through that. So if you're figuring out what kind of person are you, it's like a personality test. You can find a free one online. I'm INFJ, which is a rare type, supposedly. Uh-huh. However, when we had our first meeting of the Mandela Effect conference, it seemed like everybody there was INFJs or something like it. Oh, and like, it was, bl- it was bliss out because usually we don't see anybody like us who are, okay, so the I is introverted, but you can also be extroverted. And really that part doesn't matter too much. The next one is intuitive and that's the N and that part does matter a lot. The third one is feeling. So that would be th- those, the middle two matter the most, intuitive feeling. And then the last one, um, I'm a J, which is judging, but there's also a P for perceiving. And those don't matter either. So you can forget the introvert, extrovert, and judging, perceiving. They don't really matter. Where I see the strength of the connection is the middle two, the empath ones. Being intuitive is really important. And then being a feeling person. That's going to give you an improved ability to notice these levels of conscious agency I keep talking about because they get more and more subtle. And if you're not intuitive and you can't feel them, you're not going to know they're there. Now, you can still experience the Mandela effect and placebo effect and miracles and all that good stuff. But if you really want to tune into it, you're going to have a little bit of an advantage if you already are an intuitive feeler personality type.
2: Oh, that makes sense, right? Because that intuition is open. We're experiencing other realms. We're experiencing other energies anyway. Right, exactly. Exactly. That makes sense. Uh, So if we are not an intuitive feeler, are there any processes or practices to where we can open up to it?
3: Yeah. Well, the main thing I do is I work with individuals one-on-one because to me, this is not a one size fits all. I know people ask me, how can I do a quantum jump? Just show me the steps. Or my loved one died. I want to bring them back. The Mandela effect's real. Can we do that? And then I need to tell them, it really depends on who you are. I can work with people individually, which seems to work best, because everybody really is that different. And then your individual issues or beliefs or blocks might be very different than someone else's. So maybe at some point we'll have a, like people that come along saying... I'm going to lead these people through. like We're going to do this. But I haven't set anything like that up for folks that are not already intuitive feelers. I think I'm more set up to help the, the first group through. And so we would be the ones that are helping to lead the way for everybody else. That, that would be the intuitive feelers. They are the minority. I think when Jesus talked about the meek shall inherit the earth, probably that's what he was talking about. Like We're the ones that are the way showers. We're the miracle workers. We're the ones that are going to be experiencing it they can then calmly lead the ones who have no idea what the heck we're talking about. We look crazy to the rest of the family, but like my sister once said to me, just do that thing you do. You know, when the dishwasher broke down, it's like, you can fix this, can't you? Like, maybe. <laughs> Funny you should say that. Then she really, then she's looking at me pleadingly. Like, can you just do that thing you do? <laughs> like, yeah, let's do it. So you can heal anything. You can, reality shifts or anything. Anything's, um, everything's listening. Everything. Is connected everything is made created from love on that level we have access to everything and miracles are happening all the time you know we have the ability to bring that question how good can it get and you know in in that moment i was so glad we were laughing my sister and i because it was one of those holiday meals and there were loads and loads of dishes left to go so i said yeah first you start by ignoring the facts i mean you see you acknowledge them okay we heard the clunk sound and we smelled something bad. I don't know what that smell is. It feels like burnt grease or oil or something. You know what? Let's ignore that. I'm just going to open the dishwasher as if we hadn't done anything at all. She's looking at me like, okay. I said, now I'm just going to feel how much I love this dishwasher. And I'm going to, in my heart and my mind and everything, just feel like we need this dishwasher to be fully functioning. And in my mind, I can hear it running. And I'm just feeling how much I love it. I'm loving it running so well. I, and I could feel when it's all lined up, you know, head, heart, gut. I'm like, oh, we got it. I could just feel that moment, the sweet spot. I said, okay, now I'm just going to shut the dishwasher and I'm going to push the start button. She's looking at me like, okay. And I push the start button and it just purrs. I said, there. And I swear that's all we did. We didn't do any anything apart. Nothing, nothing mechanical. No, nothing like that needed. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I've seen that happen with my bathroom fixtures, my, you know. Oh, yeah water's not running properly and then it runs properly
3: yeah cars computers cameras you can do this with phones anything
2: it's all in the power of the mind
3: and the heart and the gut and and also the fullness of who we really are because we're so much bigger than fits in our bodies we're so big and so you really want to connect with all of that and feel like okay and even if you're a person who's not an intuitive feeler like Cynthia I can't feel that don't worry about it it's there you have it. We all do. And you can just invite, just say, how good can it get to feel all of myself? You can bring, how good can it get into anything? It's like the secret sauce for miracles. And then, you know, bring it in and allow yourself to experience that. It can be pretty amazing, pretty miraculous, pretty wonderful.
2: Oh, wow, that's wonderful. Can this help with repairing relationships? Absolutely. Yeah, I've got a section
3: in my book on quantum jumps on that specifically. Absolutely. Some scientifically proven things you can do that are basically quantum jumping techniques, <laughs> but laboratory tested and yeah, just simple things. I think the book goes into it in much more detail, but basically listening deeply, you know, just a man, just letting letting go of whatever reality that you think that you've been in. Because what we do when we hang on to old realities is we lock in what we're expecting from our partner. Well, first you got to give that up. I mean, you got to give that up, whatever it was. And people say, but Cynthia, I have to remember. No, you do you really, you know, is that really how good life can get? Because the quantum jumping lifestyle is one of letting go, just letting go and change is inevitable anyway. And so you're choosing a growth path to really go and grow where opportunities take you into how good can it get territory. And that will require that whatever, maybe the things you're most angry about, you need to let go of your anger And so it's a lot of inner work that's required to really get good. And I do this with clients as well, because that's where it gets very interesting. You can start clearing stuff and you got to work on yourself, but then you can also feel what's happening for this other person. Can you clear them? Yeah. You can energetically ground another person, connect them up to their higher levels of self and conscious agency, reconnect from your heart to their heart and so forth. These are energetic practices that make a huge difference. But in the book, Quantum Jumps, I just have some simple things that you can do, like eye gazing and just you know, simple things that, that are very powerful for people who might not be the kind of intuitive feelers that I think the majority of your audience already is.
2: Yeah. Let's do talk about your books real quick. You've got Quantum Jumps, an Extraordinary Science of Happiness and Prosperity book, Reality Shifts When Consciousness Changes the Physical World, and then Reality Shifters Guide to High Energy money paperback book and aura advantage how the colors in your aura help you attain your desires and attract success oh the books just keep coming you've got so many out there so i won't even name them all but when you're talking about the studying the processes to do these things are you which book are you talking about
3: the one just now was i was delving into the quantum jumps there are exercises in all these books i'm a big believer in reading the material, but then take it into practice, make it your own. So all of those books are rich in exercises that you can do that can help turning things around in a good direction in your life.
2: This is wonderful. And then you've got on your website, you've also got downloadables. I mean, you can download any of the books here too. And then where else can we get the books?
3: You can find them on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and my website. If you're in the United States, I could send you an autographed copy of things. I'm just shipping to the United States right now. And so sorry about that for international. I haven't set it back up again for international, but it's good for within the United States. Yeah. But, but people um, all around the world are excited about the books that I've written and they like the audiobooks too. And those are easily findable through Amazon, has them, you know, ebook, audiobook, or a printed version.
2: Wonderful. Wonderful. And your website again is? It's reality shifters.com and you've got a blog, you've got a newsletter, you've got a podcast of your own, yes. right? And the podcast, again, is called? It's
3: called Living the Quantum Dream, and it's part of Dream Vision 7 radio network based out of Boston. I'm also a founding member and the first president of the International Mandela Effect Conference, and that has a web- that has a website too, imec.world, and we've got monthly live streams, so pretty much the last usually the last Wednesday of each month. And then once a year, we're doing an in-person conference where you get together with all these other intuitive feelers. <laughs> Lots of fun.
2: Oh my gosh. That is so exciting. I mean, I could geek out on this so much, but I want to leave the audience with, you know, just a taste of what you have and your offerings. And so they can find out more. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think is important that our audience knows?
3: Oh, Like no matter what things look like, everything can change in a moment. And when you open yourself to that possibility, you're really welcoming and inviting an experience of a whole new world. So I'm saying that to wherever you are on your path, wherever you are on your journey, Mm. I join you and I'd love to know how good it can get for you. I really do need that because then finally we've got heaven on earth and I'm living for that. I need that.
2: So let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. How good can it get? Yes. I love this. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a delight and a pleasure. Thank you, Christy. Me too.
1: Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com.